Well, we're enjoying a, 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 a high-intensity series. Not that high-intensity. I've gone pretty easy on you. Uh, it just means the work, more work for me. Uh, so I send an email out and some small group notes and so on um, to go along with this series. There are some groups uh, going through this material week to week. So this is a series called The God Experience. Hey, we forgot my bumper again. Only Sandy got the bumper. Or did it play without audio? I don't know. It's, it's so good. Is it there? Play that bumper. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> epic, that's the word, epic, thank you. All right, it's been a great series. And, but what we're trying to do is uh, take the epic out of your life with God, to be honest, and, and understand that all of us are called all of us have a purpose in our life, but navigating what that looks like, are we talking about it's just a theological piece? Is it a relational piece? Is it an experience? What is it? And the answer, of course, is yes to all of that. And um, we're talking about the various realities that come into play as we partner with God in this life that for most of us has been at some level quite messed up. But as we've seen over the recent weeks, and if you haven't been to the services, please look at the videos online, uh, we've seen that we all hit barriers in our life uh, where we just seem to come up against the wall uh, of our experience with God. And even this week, I've had a number of meetings this week, and I, I, it really is the best part of my, my employment, I guess, is just to get to talk with so many people. If I ever want to just have a meeting, I just turn up at the cafe and there's three just seem to be always waiting for me. It's just fantastic just to engage and just see what people are really going through. And I've got to say, it actually really helps me. More than it probably helps the people I talk to, uh, they probably feel worse after talking to me, to be honest, but I get a lot out of it and I get to, I get to uh, hear the heart of what's going on and so many of us are still quite tired, um, but when we talk about this whole idea of and what is this God experience, because so many of us here are beating the drum of faithfulness in our life, we know what it means to, to keep being God's person, but if we're honest, there are times in our life where we felt a lot closer than we may do now or maybe we're in a season of closeness, but we know what it's like to have those dry times where God just seems distant. And some of us are in a point where we wonder whether this whole concept of an experience with God is valid at all. Because that's got all sorts of error written all over it for so many of us. Oh, are we talking about emotional experience? What are we talking about there? So is this a valid word to use in the context of, of a walk with God at all? And we grapple with this. Can't I just believe? Can't I just be faithful and get on with it? And when I get to heaven, that'll be a good enough experience for me. And others, um, and this comes, I guess, from a bit of mentoring that I do uh, for ministers and such on the side. The, the very real challenges that uh, those who've been around church world for a while go through, where naivety, the naivety of the faith uh, gets broken by just watching what happens in real time with God's people and with God's ministry, and we see those who we've respected for years upon years, who've mentored us, suddenly we see their family life fail, their, their morality fail, their faith fail, and they begin to deconstruct. And so many of us see that just often enough for us to impinge on our faith. We, what do we, if, if the one that we believed in doesn't believe, what do we believe in anymore? And so it rattles the cage of our own personal faith. And these sort of things leave us with a lot of questions about, who do we have faith in? What do we have faith in? And so the, the temptation is to rewind it all back to um, reading Scripture alone, not allowing ourselves to experience God through that, even though the, the author's writing was always meant to be interpreted with the author present, if I can put it that way. 
But isn't it just safer just to have the Bible as a textbook, you know, and just live a faithful life as opposed to a fruitful life, which just seems to be so much more complicated? And yet, all that said, you will know that the rhythm in your life of God's call throughout the years has probably been quite relentless for you. It's just like, just when I've gotten over that and put that to the side, the whisper comes back, I'm with you, I'm calling you, I've made you for a purpose. I am real, I'm right here, I always have been, and I'm calling you into something. And we know that we, just, we exist for a reason. We're not just highly intelligent mammals that are going to die one day and there's nothing. We know that's not true. As Ecclesiastes said, eternity's woven, it's, it's integrated into the DNA of a human soul. We know eternity's there, but we wrestle with it and we don't know what to make of it. And if we don't know what to make of it, we continue to be driven to uh, do well and see our kids do well. What, what about the sacrifices we make for our kids these days? All the, the efforts that we do to make a success of our life and just get something of worth done in our life. We can't shut it down. There's a drive in the human soul to get something done, to do it well and to be somebody and to make our life worth it. And so prayers leak out of that, this, this unresolved soul that we have. The prayers come, God, will you just, will you guide me? Will you open doors? Will you provide for me? Will you be part of our life? And in that statement, in those sorts of prayers, it's really easy and forgivable to to miss the little telling element in that prayer that says, God, be part of our life. It's our life. It's that little two-word sentence, our life. Be a part of our life. And often unknowingly we remain God-fearing, God-loving people, but with us at the centre of our life because that's our default nature. And in truth, we are important. We do have a destiny. There there is a singularity in that sense about who we are and yet no one's more important than anybody else. But our foundation for all of that can't be upon a statement like it's our life because at the end of the day for the Christian, it's not our life. It's God life. What's the God life? that he's called me to be part of. See, when I say our life, I'm asking God to bless my work and bless my kids and bless my efforts and bless this. There's no end to the list of what we need his blessing upon. And it's, it's, it's admirable. It's just inadequate for what we're called to be and what we're called to become because a God life says a very different prayer. It says, where are you inviting me to work with you? It's not God, will you work with me? It's where are you working and where do you invite me to work? So living a good life as opposed to a God life creates certain dynamics and we will have all had our moments and times and seasons there. A good life is what God describes as normal in our life that we we will preach about. Those things that God describes as normal feel like more of a sacrifice than they really are. The giving, the serving, the loving of God's people. It feels hard. We feel like we feel the withdrawal of that. Because I've got my life going on and it's full, hey? Our life is full. February 2023, I know how full everyone's life is. I know how many sports are going on now and all the different things that people are at out there. It's full. It's full on. And so we, when, when the word comes out, oh, here's what normal sacrifice looks like and it's a joy and an honour to do that. It's like, how much more do you want to withdraw? How hard does this thing get? And so we feel this tension all the time. 
Another dynamic is that our God mission, and the God mission remains, even when we haven't got a fully God-centered life, we're aware of the God mission because we know the giftings, we've got an inkling of the calling, we know what we're good at, and we know what it's like when the Spirit's working through us, but our God mission becomes replaced by a good mission. It's close, looks the same, it's got the same sort of shape, but it's just different. John Altberg, if you know any of his writings, he's a great author, describes this as a shadow mission, a shadow mission. So it's the same shape, you know, if the sun comes down, as long as the perspective's right, it looks the same. You can tell what it is, but it's a shadow. There's no light in it. It's just us living our life with who God's created us to be in the circumstances in which he's put us, but we're sort of doing it in our own strength. And it's fueled by myself. Are you feeling tired? Are you worn down? Remember Jesus' words on this? Are you feeling worn out? It's probably because we're living a shadow mission. It's a good life, not completely a God life. It holds on too tight to entitlement. It's, it's afraid of letting go. It's a fear of losing what's been gained and it gets a thrill in life. You still get the thrill of life, but the thrill of life comes from doing for self that which was designed to be done for God. It's so close and everyone is tempted. We all have a potential shadow mission, all of us. We can't be holier than anyone. We all have the shadow. If we live in the light, the shadow exists. And at any moment, any of us can choose to live in that shadow and most people won't know the difference and most people will applaud you because it looks so worthy and you're so good at it and if the church doesn't understand what's going on, we will bless it and lift it up. But it's just living a good life, not a God life. Abraham had a shadow mission. That's why it took him 25 years for him to be ready to be called the father of faith. His shadow mission was to be a father of nations but without faith. Just give me the sun. Just give me the sun. Where's the sun? I just need the sun. And, then it's, and God's going, no. You need faith because you'll be a father of nations, but they're nations of faith. So he had the, it took him that long to get out of the shadow and into the light. And you'll see every scriptural character has a shadow mission just as we do. Moses had one. So much was done by him, but his shadow mission was to be Israel's deliverer without dependence on God. He tried to do it, a good thing, but he tried to do it in his own strength, started killing people and doing all the stuff and out he goes to the desert in the wilderness because it's like, how am I going to do what you've called me to do? I can't lose this discontent for my soul and yet I can't do it in my own strength. And finally he comes to the burning bush and realises it's not about him. Even Jesus had a shadow mission. Jesus had a shadow mission. He chose not to live in it. But he could have. It was at him all the time. The disciples were, were tempting him with it all the time. Satan tempted him with it all the time. His shadow mission was to be a Messiah without a cross. Just take power. Just wrestle it to the ground. Don't become a suffering servant. But he didn't choose that path. And so God invites us to a, a differently defined life. And this is what today's message is all about. It's living the God life where he invites us to work with him. John 5, 17, Jesus says, My Father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. See, God is at work. He's at work right here, right now. God is at work. And he's reliant because he's chosen to handcuff himself with us, on us being his hands and feet and mouths and eyes to work with him. Not calling us to work harder, but just to work with him. But many of us will be feeling, I just can't do it anymore. I can't work any harder. What are you asking of me? Is this where I come to church and you just make another withdrawal? It's actually the opposite. He doesn't want to break you. He wants to free you. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. And his fruit comes when we rely on him, not on ourselves. So he's not asking you to stop living, just to build it on the right purpose, to switch from the good life to the God life. 
So what is working with God? Let's, let's define it before I run out of too much time. What is working with God? If I could boil it down, it's partnering with him in what he's doing at that moment. At that moment is the key. Because many of us dedicate our lives to what God was doing 30 years ago. And we're just faithful, brother. We just keep doing it. Haven't borne any fruit there for the longest time, but we're just being faithful. This is what denominations do. We're, we're legendary at it. There's a revival and people get saved and within 40 years they make a constitution and a set of rules and we, we cease protecting the revival. We start protecting the rules and, and then we can't change the building because it's heritage listed now. It's been empty for the longest time, but it doesn't matter. We're just being faithful. You know, We're more committed to legacy than we are to life. And so we've got to be prepared to move on. It's, we're partnering with God in what he's doing at that moment. What's he doing right here in this place right now that he wants to use you to be a part of? Encouragement. God can't help but give courage back to his people. He's the great encourager. He wants to give you hope. He wants to release the gospel of salvation. He wants to bring healing, spirit, soul, body. He wants to give freedom. He never grows weary. He never stops doing it. He wants to do it all the time, everywhere, with everyone, and he wants to do it right now. How good is that? So all these seats that are pointing this way, we could just throw the seats away and just get on with it. And that's what we hope to do in different ways in different places here. Maybe not in the next five minutes, but soon. But it can happen at your workplace. It doesn't just happen here. You don't have to be in church to be used by God. In fact, wherever you are at any time, wherever you are, that's where the rain comes. Wherever you are, the Spirit's there with you and your ministry is right there as you engage with your workmates, especially the ones you dislike the most, those really irritating ones, could be them. It can be at home as you feed your kids with faith and identity, all that kind of thing. But it's not just trying to be, trying harder to be the best version of who you are. You don't need to prove anything here. You don't need to input more energy into the whole equation. You don't have to do God's work for God. Only God does God's work. We're just partnering with him. This is how it works. Colossians 1.29, this has always been a mystery for me because I know I, I try to work hard on the church, always, always have, and some days I feel full of energy, some days I'm just wasted. Paul describes it in Colossians 1.29. To this end, I strenuously contend, so it's him doing some work there, I, can, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. So who's working, Paul? Both. He strenuously contends with all the energy Christ puts in him through the Spirit. Here's an example, because you've got to turn up. When we do spiritual retreats, and we're going to do one in a couple of weeks, anyone who's been to us, one of our retreats is welcome to sign on and, and come to that retreat, by the way. You can do it online there. It's very cheap uh, to have a Friday night through to Saturday night. So we run these retreats. We've been doing it for nearly 20 years. We have a great time. And in these retreats, we've got nothing else to do. Literally, there's not a lot we can say. We're there in a room. We've just set aside a part to, to invite the Holy Spirit to work and do miracles and heal and bring revelation, all that kind of stuff. So we get very used to that. It's an environment that we set it up just for that purpose. It's different to a Sunday service. But I'll tell you what, when we set up, it's, it's us who are doing the chairs, it's us pressing the buttons, it's us giving the speaking and praying. Sometimes we're standing for six or eight hours at a time praying for people. We're strenuously contending, we're turning up, but we're not doing anything that's going to last. Whatever the team does in that strenuously contending is going to fade away and on Monday they're going to feel it. But all the work that gets really done is being done by the Spirit as they're praying. The only thing people remember is not how great the team are, all they remember is what God does in their life. 
And so our role is to create a space where God does that work. And we turn up. So our energy is being expend, expended in turning up. But we're not doing the work of God there. We're working with him. He's doing the work in people's lives. So when we lay a hand on someone's shoulder and pray and a word of prophecy or healing or whatever comes out, that's God's work being done. He is transforming souls. We can't do that. Only he can do what only he can do. That's the normal Christian life. So we strenuously contend. We turn up and expend our energy, but it's his energy that transforms lives. Would he still do it if we weren't there? Probably not, to be honest. He could find a way and do it in different scenarios, but there's work being done in those environments that's not being done anywhere else. And so God's people are being used all the time, anywhere, not just in that environment, to do God's work. Our job is just to watch and to listen and to follow. And it's easier in those retreat environments because we're not distracted by our work and our kids and all the stuff that, that goes on in our mind. But this, this becomes a segue for us into the main principle here, is where is my focus? Where, where is your focus? Because the world is going to throw at you a thousand different things to distract your time and your energy and your heart and your mind. So we can either be God-centred in any moment or we can do a binary flip and we can become self-centred. In any moment, we can choose. Am I God-centred right now? Am I self-centred right now? And you can tell. It's, it's instantly bears its own fruit. A God-centred life has confidence in God. We're not swimming around in doubt. We have dependence on his abilities and his provision. My life is focused on him. I'm, my, my eye is on his activity. I, I'm happy to deny myself. Humility just overflows. I seek first the kingdom. Uh, I'm seeking his perspective on all things. You can see what I'm saying, that God-centred life brings all its vision and all its thought on him and his provision then changes the way I'm seeing everything else. If I'm just working harder to be good, I don't get that. I just get more tired. It's a good-centred life. It's not a God-centred life. But if I'm leaning on him, my vision changes. A self-centred life has a focus on me. It's got pride in my accomplishments. I think about through the night all the good things that I've done, if I've had a win, this sort of thing. It's self-affirming or it's pursuing self-affirming. It seeks the world's acceptance and the world's ways. It's materialistic and all those things that we know that we regret about ourselves. But if we can be God-centred, if we're seeking his purpose, it opens up so many more possibilities in life. It frees you from that curse of yourself, the curse of self-criticism and the, you know, the curse of am I doing okay, am I okay, have I done enough, all that stuff. Instead, we depend on him and we're not waiting for a formula. I love the story of George Mueller and uh, any good brethren here, uh, any bad brethren here, um, this is the, the beginnings of the Brethren movement. The open, there's two down the front. They'll, they'll hit me later. George Mueller started this movement called the Open Brethren. And I never get tired of his story. He was a pastor in the 1800s. And, and he was in a similar situation to what we are now in a sense of God's people broadly in, in his nation uh, had lost the fire, but not because God wasn't real. They still believed, but they were discouraged that he no, and they no longer expected God to do things anymore. They hadn't seen miracles. They weren't expectant and full of hope. They weren't living by faith. So Mueller began to pray that God would lead him to minister in a way that could only be explained by God's provision. This is dangerous stuff now. Now it's going to get uncomfortable. Now it's going to get a bit wild. You start praying a prayer like that, I guarantee things are going to change. And so, but he set himself to pray that God would guide him. So he, doesn't, he didn't want to preempt. And church folk, leaders especially, we are terrible for preempting God. We see a hole in our programs and go, we need this or we need that. And, and so we wear each other out doing it. 
But he was determined just to wait for God's inspiration, just as we need to be. And Psalm 81.10 spoke to him incredibly clearly. It said, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. What a, what a verse. It's only half a verse, to be honest. But it just, it just gripped him. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. He knew what this meant for him. And so he, he undertook a project and he prayed for resources but didn't tell anyone. He resolved he was never going to ask anyone to meet the needs. So he started an orphanage with nothing and a scripture distribution ministry. He just opened it up. And obviously you, you, st- you put a sign up that says orphanage, orphans and, and is going to come. But he never told anyone of his needs. And through the next two or three decades, I think it was, in this sort of life, he never once asked for a penny. And I remember one story when he needed 20,000 pounds, back when that was a lot of money. And, he, and he, where, he, didn't, he just knew God had to provide, but he needed it, so God had to provide it. And he just, one day someone gave him twopence, tuppence, and, just, and, he, and he just knelt down and wept. He said, God, he held his tuppence. He said, thank you, God, for the 20,000 pounds. Because he knew it was coming. If tuppence can come, this is a word for someone here. If a tuppence can come, 20,000 pounds can come. If you have a massive need from God, what's the tuppence? When you get the tuppence, thank God, because the rest of it's going to come. This is, the, this is the ways of God. He ended up getting 9,500 orphans going on in this thing. And through his life, 7.5 million pounds, this is in the 1800s, 7.5 million pounds were donated and he never asked for a cent. That's the ways of God. This is what happens when you follow and you don't leave, when you stop working for self and start working with God. God's ways are so different. This is why we need faith. You can't work it out. You can't apply the formula. You can't get on Facebook and do a fundraiser. It doesn't work like that. It's just you've got to be listening, and that's where the investment of time goes. Isaiah 55, 8, we all know it so well. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. And yet we can read that. That doesn't mean it's supposed to stay that way. We have the privilege to be invited in to learn his ways, to look behind the curtain and not just act like slaves who are told, turn left, turn right, but but ask the question of God now and again, what are your ways? How are you working? This is the skills of Christian leadership as well. So his ways are about people, not profits and balance sheets. Those of us with a kingdom mindset for business understand this. They keep coming back. They, they're not focused on, the, on Excel spreadsheets. They're focused on a person and they see God bless that person. It's about going low, not seeking the heights. Moses, who's our poster child for all this in this series, he got to the stage where his strength was worn out. He'd started well. He'd Red Sea had parted. The, all the stuff had gone on. But he was getting fed up in the end. He's, there's something about the Hebrew people, though. They had a spiritual gift of whinging. And, and they just, even they could just see God work and they still moan, you know. There's manna, there's, there's water. It's like, we want sparkling water, Moses, you know. And so he just got jack of the whole thing. And he's just going, God, you know, you tell me left, you tell me right, and I'm going to do it. But can we go another level now? Because if, you, if this is a partnership, how's this going to work? And I love Exodus 33, 12. And he says, I, I know you by name and you've found favour with me. Sorry, you have said, I know you by name. And don't, don't you know, just pause for a moment. This is us a few years in. 
We've gotten all the promises and that God knows you by name. He has a calling on your life, but life's gone nowhere yet. Or you've seen a little bit. You think, where's it all at? And he's at that stage. I've seen a little bit. This isn't going to work. So he's reminding God, echoing back to him. You have said, I know you by name and you've found favour with me. If you're pleased with me, he says, okay, prove it. If you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favour with you. And by the way, remember that this nation is your people. Just to throw in the emphasis, this prayer is important. It's, you know, it's like me going there and say, don't forget, Kenmore, you started this thing. You're obligated to keep it going, God. You know, come on now. Which wouldn't be invalid. But I love the Lord's reply. This is my way. So let's draw back the curtain, Moses. Here's how I operate. Here's why I operate. Here's why I do what I do. My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. This was Mueller's experience. My presence will go with you. Not my presence will go 10 miles in front. It's going with you. And it's the same promise that you have today. His promise, he doesn't preload grace. He doesn't preload provision. He doesn't give you today what you need tomorrow. He gives it to you in real time. It's a live stream and this is why we need faith. You don't need a lot of faith if God gives you a million dollars to spend Monday and you know you've got a million dollar bill. It's like when you get to Monday and you've got to cash the cheque or the credit card and suddenly there's a million dollars in the account ready for you. Who's ready for that one? Actually, no, I'm not advising people to go and spend a million dollars on a credit card right now, okay, unless God tells you to do that. Okay, my presence will go with you and I'll give you rest. He's saying, I will do the heavy lifting. Just watch me, just follow, just be one step with me at a time, one step. And and I will give you rest. See, who's worn out? There it is again. Who's worn out? Who's striving? Who's done with life? My presence will go with you and that's because you need rest. And so we still turn up, we still contend, but it's he who does the work. So these are the ways, these are some of the ways God works. Let me give you one major way for today that God works so we can take this away because it's from the front to the back of Scripture. We want to know your ways, Lord. Open the curtain. Here it is, Matthew 6.33. Oh, no, not this one. I learned this one at Sunday school. Can't we have a new one? Do this one and all the rest falls into place. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. It's unyielding. It's unbreakable. It's a principle. And we do all we can, don't we? Really? We, all we can to bypass this. Can I not just give you some more money? Can I not just get on the worship team? Can I not just do this and that? Because, yeah, that's all good. Love all that. But if that is not with your first seeking the kingdom, it's not going to bear a lot of fruit. If you want to see destiny and purpose fulfilled in your life, you've got to be prepared to put it away and throw it away and go, I'll seek one thing. I only have one thing in my life. That All that other stuff is dependent on him. If I don't have a God foundation, if everything doesn't come from this, I've got nothing of worth. It's going to keep coming back to this. Oh, some days I hate it, but then I grasp it and I love it because I'm free. Seek first God and let him worry about everything else because all the other things will be given to us. We try to bypass it. It's fleshed out more by Jeremiah and Jeremiah 29, which is often half quoted. Great scripture though, 11 to 14. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Great, I love that bit. Let's just stick to that bit. But that's actually not 
the, the full context of all these verses is required here. Because what, what he's doing there is saying, here's what can unfold. Here's what's before you. I've, I've, I've got this great thing that we're going to go into together. Then he goes on, but then you'll call on me and we think when it all comes true, then we'll call on you. But his tenses are all, this is how prophetic words often work. He starts there, then he'll come back here and then he'll go over there. And so you've got to understand the process here. It says then, then means at that time, to fulfil that at that time. It's one of those 27 time words that they have in Hebrew. This is one of them. Then means in the precedent before the reality coming through. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And then, there should be an and then in there, and will bring you back from captivity. First comes the seeking. He says, here are the plans. Now, your job isn't to go and race ahead and get them. Your plan now is to seek God with all your heart, all your soul and mind, and then he brings it to fruition. The plans can't unfold in your life until your heart's ready to carry them. Your plans can't unfold in your life until your heart is ready to carry them. I don't know how many people, and it's got me in trouble over the years, where I see a calling on their life, and I am saying, I'm with you, and I believe in your calling. And they take that as a promise to say, I'm going to get them in the ministry. I can't get anyone in the ministry. It's not my job. That's God's job. My job is to create a pathway. But I can't get anyone into ministry or their ministry or your calling, but we can create a pathway for you. And if you can seek God with all your heart, if you grow in the character and gifts, that pathway stays open all your life. No problem. Seek God first. Your plan can't unfold until your heart's ready to carry them. See, no one can put you where God alone can put you. When we aren't seeking him first, what we tend to do in those times where life gets hard, if, if we aren't seeking God first, we're seeking self first. God's open doors. You know the doors you pray for? Lord, open a door for me, open a door. These doors are really what we would define as a path of least resistance. It's like I'm in difficulty, I'm under pressure now. Lord, open a door for me that's easier. But the doorway into God's calling isn't always easier. I've found the doorway into calling is normally harder at first. It's like I was hoping for good times. It just got really tough. What's with that? It's okay. Wait for the fruit. It's coming. Because it's a doorway into a new space and we need to grow into that space before we can steward it. And so don't always look for the path of least resistance and assume it's God's call. We've got to be really careful how we distinguish that. When we seek God first, we're worrying less about ourselves and we're trusting God as he uncovers to us what really matters the most. We see him working in the lives of people. Our eyes change and we see him. We see what he's doing. Your eyes change. Imagine if you're at work and you're not stressed about the next phone call or the next meeting. Imagine if your eyes say, Lord, what are your eyes right now? I'm God-centered. I trust you to take care of the meeting. I trust you for the next email. But my eyes are on what you're... And just spend a moment, maybe five minutes every hour, start there and start looking at people and saying, Lord, who are, who's your eye on? Lord, what is it you're saying? And so working with God is actually as easy as that. It's not adding anything to your, to your job description. It's, it's just stopping and being God-centered for a moment and listening and watching. And I find if I'm just prepared to stop doing all this stuff and just stop and watch and listen, God work begins. All the God work begins. And everybody qualifies. I was talking to the team before the, the service today. We had about 30 people in a circle all, who were doing all the stuff 
You're all authorised. They're all authorised to be God's ambassador, to be God's worker right now. But you know what? So are all of you. If you've been here more than three minutes, which most of us have today, you're actually already authorised as the body of Christ to be his hands and feet. And I pray that before you go, just as a stretching exercise, especially who's a tired introvert here right now? You're not going to put your hand up because you're going to get a job. All the tired introverts, that's the best moment to do God's work because you've got nothing. But you can stop, you can watch, and you can listen. And I'll bet you, if you, you dedicate that time to God, what, the time where you're on the premises now, and just say, okay, I can be God-centered for 20 minutes. Lord, who are you talking to? Who do you want me to bless? Who needs a prayer? Who needs a conversation? Because, you know, sometimes talking to people is so much like love, no one can tell the difference. Spend some time. This is Christ's body right here. He invites us to work with him. Not tomorrow, now, but tomorrow as well. So I wonder, as I'm speaking, whether you, you sense, look, I'm, I'm hanging on to stuff. This is, this is true. I'm going to go home and process that. Well, why don't we just deal with it now? All the power to do that is here right now. So why don't we just come in prayer, and I'll invite the team to come up, but uh, we just need the Holy Spirit now to talk into our hearts. I've got such a desire to release God's people, to be God's people. If, if this church ever relied on myself or any other staff member to say it works because of them, we've, we've missed it. You are the body of Christ. My role is to equip you in the ministry. So let's pray. Lord, I just want to pray first of all for those who are tired and feel like it's not for them. Lord, would you just lift the burden of that off them and just give them the faith to know that you're the one who controls what really matters. Just give them that faith. And Lord, I just really pray right now you'd show us the faces of those you want us to work with you. Lord, even in this place, Father, even as our, our eyes are closed, will you just bring to our mind's eye a name, a person? Maybe they're not even here. Maybe it's somebody at home. Maybe it's someone you, just, you haven't spoken to for too long. Lord, will you show them a name? of who they can be blessing today. And so, Father, we just resolve together to be about your work. We know it will come easy. We have faith to believe you. And Lord, we don't, we don't need to phrase things like I believe God's saying or God says or any of that stuff. We can just come as God's person and bless and encourage and give hope and listen and ask a question about their story. Lord, I just pray that in this place today, there'd be a hundred divine appointments springing up, that people would leave here changed because they've met with you through your people. Lord, give us the faith today to seek you first, to put you first. Lord, give us the faith to follow what you're doing. And guys, remember, as we, just as we're praying, it's not about a big thing. It's a small whisper, God's inside voice. It'll be subtle, but you'll know it's Him because it won't sound like something that you would normally want to do. It'll be the sort of encouragement that you perhaps wouldn't normally give. And just follow that small voice. Father, will you fill us with your Holy Spirit? Will you be with us as we go? Help us to be with you as you invite us to work. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen.